Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. My name is George Sapio, I'm your host. Lauren Singerman is an actor, speech and dialect coach and producer whose latest project is the web series Precious Cargo. Dan O'Madden, her husband and the writer of Precious Cargo, was named one of the Dramatist Guild 50 Playwrights to Watch. You can find the first seven episodes of Precious Cargo at preciouscargowebseries.com. Catching up with this talented and busy pair was tricky, but we eventually found a few minutes to talk, and we started out by asking them to tell us all about this brand new project. Well, I let me. I'll let Lauren start the answer to that conversation because I, I blame her for this. So yeah. Okay, Lauren, um, take it away. Lauren. Yeah, I've been okay. I've been tutoring um, as my support job for about ten years. Um, and ever since I, and I started tutoring in the Bronx with, for kids who, uh, basically, um, warranted extra help and got free tutoring through the Department of Education. And then that sort of ended and I moved my way into tutoring super rich Manhattan kids. But ever since I started tutoring, I've always known that, you know, I've, I've had so many stories and it's been such a such a colorful day job to have. <laughs> and I needed to, <laughs> and As I someone needed who's to tutored also, I, I totally sympathize with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I always knew I needed to do something with it theatrically. And I wasn't sure what form that would take, whether it be like a play or a one-woman show. Or when I first started thinking about this, it was really before web series were a thing. Um and a few years ago, a friend of mine, Sasha Kay, who plays my sister on Precious Cargo, and I were, I think we were texting back and forth because we were both tutoring and we were sharing a student, actually. We used to work for the same company. And we were sharing stories and one of us was like, we've got to do something with this. We've got to write something. I think she said that and I said, I know, I've been thinking about that, but I don't know exactly how. Um, and I think we just decided that a web series would be the easiest way to really um, create the world versus, you know, having a play where we it, just because it's such a like visually, it's such a colorful world too. Mm-hmm. tutoring these rich kids in Manhattan. And I think we felt like the only way we could really achieve that sort of I, I thought I think that we, we thought we could find like the greatest potential for that in film and web series by that time web series were you know they were starting to sort of explode and a lot of people had them and they were all over the place and i think we thought that we had the the skills and the the talent and new enough talented people to make a really good one and so that's what we decided to do and it's also sort of cool that now you can create your own work and get it out there and have you know, people all over the world see it in a way that is not possible when you're writing and producing your own play. Yeah, you don't have to depend on somebody else to produce you. You can do it all. Well, I mean, producing the web series itself is one thing, but actually getting it out to an audience is really what I meant. Right. Getting it constructed is, uh, well, let's talk about that. I mean, uh, well, let me ask you this first. Have you done writing on your own? I know you're an actor. I know you're a voice coach and dialect coach. Um, do you write? No, I don't. I don't I have no interest. So, so yeah. at first, Good Sasha for you. and I stay away from yeah. it. it. It'll just. Yeah. <laughs> we started brainstorming some ideas based on our experience, and at a certain point, I was just like, "I don't want to. 
I can't, I know if I try to write this, it won't be as good as it could be. And so I told Dano he was going to write it and he agreed. It's nice having a playwright yeah. in the family, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, and I watched her and Sasha, they were having meetings about this for a while. They were kind of like, you know, brainstorming ideas. And I sort of just quietly watched. I sort of knew at some point it was coming back around. I was like, this is, this is, you know, at some point, at some point I'm going to be involved with this. And, you know, and I, and, and eventually, yeah, they asked me to write for it. So I kind of took the, the, the stuff they had, they had written, you know, anecdotes and different things they were interested in having the series be about and, and, and parts of it. And then I, I and they gave me free reign, which was also great just to, to take it and shape it and do whatever I wanted with it. So free and, reign. Wow. That's, um, much wouldn't you say Lauren it was pretty you you yeah. you didn't say like you can't do this you can't do that you just I just kind of went and mm-hmm. created a bunch of characters and yeah so okay so let me let me throw this at you um I've watched the series I love the series I think it's hilarious uh, and I urge everybody yeah. out there to just go watch it as soon as this interview is done um <laughs> but it is it's it's definitely satirical all right. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm speaking from my point of view, which I don't know any rich kids, um, but I'm assuming the fact that you've got you know, like four year olds in suits being <laughs> quizzed by three middle aged people asking questions you wouldn't you would find it like a NASA job interview. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> how close? I mean, what was it like? I, I, I know we're going to get a good idea from the web series, but. How long did you actually tutor these kids and how close is the web series to the absurdity or whatever absurdity there must have been doing that? I mean, it's, can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I still, I still tutor. So I've been, I've been tutoring kids like private school kids for, I would say the last, I don't know, seven years, maybe. Um, and it's definitely a satire. It's definitely, you know, a lot of the stuff in the show is an exaggerated version of, of what I've experienced. Um, four-year-olds aren't drilled that way for admissions interviews. Um, Thank but, God. Yeah. No. <laughs> as far as we know. As but far as but, we know. but they, do, they do, the way kids that young apply to private school is that they have to sit these, what, they're, what are called play dates, um, where they sit with a bunch of other kids and play with them and interact with them and they're observed by the admissions person or the admissions team. Mm-hmm. And people do pay people do pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for play date training. Um, <laughs> so where they interview they coaching are, for four year olds. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I know I have friends who do this who who, to, who tutors who will um, who will do this play date training. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, even though a lot of the stuff in our show is exaggerated, I mean, it, 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 I find it to be a completely absurd world. Um, and, you know, some, how, I mean, how do, how do the kids uh, react to this sort of thing? Um, it depends on the kid. I, there are some kids, I've worked with kids who are clearly, uh, unhinged, <laughs> Who uh, I shouldn't They're four years um, you know, old. I don't think they know what hinges so are yet. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> there are a lot of kids who definitely take on a lot of the the pressure um, from their parents and 
you know, like it, it concerns me and it's, uh, it's a little bit scary to, to see the amount of pressure put on kids. You know, I, I tutor kids as young as my youngest student has been three and my oldest student right now is I think 16, but I've tutored kids as old as, uh, 20 mm-hmm. and, and the pressure starts from a very young age and it's not all parents, you know, and I, I can't say that, that all of the parents I've worked with are like this. A lot of them are very, very nice and very reasonable people. But um, there is definitely this element with some families of the, the race towards Ivy League starting as soon as the kid can talk. Um, or before. Or, yeah, or yeah. before. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, and so, yeah, some of, the, some of the scenes in the show are, are loosely based on experiences I've had and uh, a lot of them uh, yep. are not, but they're all based on this, this sense that we have that there's something a little bit off about the way the Manhattan private school culture has fostered this, this sense of, of desperation and fear um, in parents and, and in kids that, there's always something more for them to achieve. And if they don't achieve something at a certain level, you know, everything will fall apart. They have a very specific path set for them that there's a lot of pressure to stay on. Well, we know, we know parents, this has been typical of parenting, you know, throughout the ages that you want your child to succeed. What are you going to do to ensure that this child is a success because you love it. You want only the best for it, um, him or her, it, whatever. Um, <laughs> what, what are you willing to put yourself and the child through? And I think this web series is such an interesting look at both sides because, again, you've got the parents who, who love the children. You've got the tutors who need to figure out the fine line to walk between getting the job done and keeping the job and keeping the parents happy. And it's not easy. I mean, it's, I mean, the satirical aspects set aside, I'm, I was watching this thinking, you got some guts. Serious. Yeah. I've just had this uh, a situation this week with the company that I work for. There's, you know, there's, there's this, when you're working for a tutoring company, like, my character and Sasha's character do in Precious Cargo, there's the added element of having to um, manage the person who runs the company. And often, and I think what sort of creates this snowball effect of like panic in, in these uh, wealthy Manhattan families is that these tutoring companies, sorry, our cat is playing with paper in the background, um, are the, these tutoring companies create this, this, like culture of fear in the parents by telling them that, you know, if a kid doesn't receive a minimum of a certain score on this standardized test, they won't get into the schools they want to get into. Um, And I think a lot of it is, is not true. And a lot of it is blown out of proportion, but it's the the companies feel it's their job to create this fear because the more scared the parents are, the more money they'll spend on tutoring. Mm -hmm. And then it's the tutor's job to manage both the boss who's, uh, obsessed with sort of maintaining this uh, fiction around how important these tests are and managing the parents, uh, letting the parents know that I'm doing, you know, the tutor's doing everything they can to get the kid where they need to be, but also trying to 
give, send a realistic message to the parents about what's possible and, and right. what's necessary. It's a very strange position to be in. Well, I think the fact that we're attempting to quantify so many things that maybe should not attempt to be quantified. I mean, how do you quantify a child's mental acumen? All right, you send them through a rigorous set of tests and this thing and the other thing, and then you kick back these test results to teachers, administrators, and parents, and everybody looks at the numbers and they don't look at the child anymore. All right, and they, they try and figure out how right. to crowbar the child's ability to make these, these numbers better. And I'm not quite sure. I, I subbed for years, so I've got a yeah. I've got a big problem with that in the first place. Let's talk about. Um, so you do the job. You come home. You have these stories of what was good today, what was not good today. Daniel's been listening to this for a while. For okay. years. For yeah. years, right? Um, <laughs> now, okay. all, now all of a sudden, you have to write this. Okay, so you've got carte blanche, as you as you said. You got a free reign to do yeah. this. What was the process like? And was there feedback on the scripts? This works. This doesn't. You need to do that. What was it like trying to learn something that has so far, I guess, not been in your repertoire of experience to represent this? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've done. Yeah, and I've done a little bit of screenwriting only just just out of interest really like mm -hmm. i you know i have screenplays that nothing has ever really happened with that I, i've done what you were talking about earlier i've, I've sent them off to contests and things um so I've, I've i wasn't completely new to screenwriting but i had never written something for the screen that was actually going to be produced before so right. um uh but i would say yeah so in the process um you know i was still meeting lauren and sasha just to talk about, we talked for a while just about what the, the ideas for the shape of it. Um, we kind of all figured out this idea of the, the two of them being sisters. Cause I, I knew I was interested in narrative because as a right. playwright, I'm just interested in like, what is, you know, rather than just, just having like one-off episodes that don't add up to anything at all. I, I, that's, that's less interesting to me than, than at least having some kind of narrative form, I guess. Um, and you know, we had a whole draft of it with, with them as sisters and the tutoring. Um, and the, I always say one of the big, maybe uh, the big changes that happened for me was I still felt like I wasn't quite um, capturing all of the, the madness of the world that Lauren had talked to me about over the years. And that's when I had the impulse of sort of like these sort of cold opens on, on parents who maybe don't necessarily connect to the overall, you know, narrative, they don't necessarily re recur in the story at all, mm -hmm. but that we just get, we'd get this parent perspective of like, you know, the, the, you know, parents at parties, parents at like this house in the Hamptons, parents by a pool, like, you know, really anxious about their kids and like trying to get them into co colleges, even though yeah. their kids are toddlers or, um, that, that was sort of a, a late, that was in a, a late revision that I added those on because I felt like I was missing something. And what I wasn't really thinking about, again, because I'm a, I'm a playwright and I, I don't really think about the logistics of filming something, right. was the fact that I was, at, I was adding on uh, – how many characters was that, Lauren, that I added on? I don't know. There were like 40 characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lauren was like, you've, you've, you've outwritten you know, a Shakespeare play here with a number <laughs> of characters. And she told me one day, she's like, yeah, I think – yeah, there's 40 characters. And I was like, that can't be – there's like, no, I was like, there's only four. There's like you, there's Sasha. Let's see. 
there's the boss. It's, that, that's it, right? And she's just like, she showed me the list. And we I was basically like, oh. had to cast, we cast everyone we knew. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We, we would have cast you, George, if you were in New York to be in this one. <laughs> I noticed even crowbarred Carl Gregory into that. Yes. <laughs> that was yeah. good choice. Carl's fun to watch. Um, I know, he's so Oh my gosh! Uh, and you know the funny thing about Carl, Carl, someone else we 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 of course knew Carl, but we uh, a friend of ours who ended up doing the costumes and makeup for it. We were trying to figure out that part, and what was funny about it was we both knew Carl, but she recommended him to us. She's like, oh, "I've got some friends from grad school. We let me you should you should get a hold of this guy Carl." And we were both like, "We we know him," <laughs> and actually, and, we, and then we had him read, and he he just you know he sent us this amazing tape, and we were like, "Oh okay." He he's like not only does he get it, but he's he beyond gets it. So yeah, Doug, you're working forty characters into this thing. I know it's a bit of an exaggeration. I'm hoping it's an exaggeration. No, it's not. It's not. No, There's that's what. No, that's what. That's what I said, George. She called me from like because we work in the same house, and she's from the living room. She said she was counting it up, and she said we have forty characters now. And I just said no, it's not. That can't, we have like a dozen or something. And then okay, I went out and looked at the list, and I was like, oh. Shit, we have, I'm sorry. Can I, can I say that? It's one on the radio. We're going to the radio. Right. Okay. Yeah. First of all, Dano, you are a published playwright. You teach playwriting. Am I correct? <laughs> all right. What, did I'm a published playwright? Yeah. Yeah, right? And you teach playwriting. So you know the business. Um, 40, right. 40 characters in anything, unless you've got like. <laughs> Spielberg or Cecil B. DeMille raised from the dead. <laughs> what possessed you? Right, right. But but that's I guess this maybe connects to your question earlier about my background in writing for the screen and all, which was minimal. <laughs> yeah, so if I'm sitting there to write a play, yeah, you and so I, I both there are cameras where you just throw people at the cameras. Right. <laughs> But when you sit down and write a play in this day and age, you know, yeah, you're thinking, okay, great. What is, what will producers really look at? And what will they look at? Four characters? Is that what, right. what, what's, I mean, it's four or less. One, a one person play is great, right? That's, that's, that's producible. But, um, it's cheap. Yeah. But for this, I guess I was just, I don't even know. I don't know how I gave myself that, that freedom to do that. Um, because I guess I just figured like, well, once we shoot this, it's not like I'm going to be shopping this around the country trying to get people to produce it at their theater. So I guess I felt, I don't know. I, I didn't, it honestly never concerned me while I was writing it. Um, well, what did concern me was the, the, the wealthy locations, the locations. Right. And I was, and I was writing those in, and honestly, and sometimes even in a way that I don't know that we a hundred percent captured. Like I, I wrote them in a way that in an ideal way, I was mm-hmm. like, you know, there's just, there's crystal and gold and, you know, and, and the chandeliers and gigantic ceilings and these apartments <laughs> that no one has ever seen before. Like, you know, like the, the Willy Wonka of, of, of rich Upper East Side apartments. And, you know, cause I was like, well, we got to at least know what we're, what I, I just wanted to, I wanted to have the ideal vision there. That's mm-hmm. what worried me. The locations, the, the number of people I was like, I, I didn't, but it did shock me and it did become a worry once, <laughs> once Lauren counted them. So how did you solve that problem? Because you're, you're placing your script in places of supposed wealth. So you need apartments and buildings and uh, settings that reflect that. 
okay um which may not be easy to find especially apartments you know knock 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 hi we'd like to film in your mansion is that okay um how did you <laughs> how did you manage to get those and the question i'm sure which is on most people's minds where did the money come from how did you fund this um so the locations we got all the locations were all free except the only thing we paid for was the rehearsal studio where we had the audition scenes, right? Mm -hmm. um, all of the locations were apartments of friends of our parents. <laughs> um, we shot, well, we shot in Sasha's parents' apartment. Sasha's, Sasha K, who plays Sandy, my sister. Gotcha. We shot in her apartment. We shot in Sasha's aunt's fabulous house in the Hamptons. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, and then the other locations were the homes of my, my mom's friends, right? Yeah. But, it, but I mean, the process of securing all those places was really stressful. Oh, yeah, I mean, we definitely... a, you know, if you're, if you're like a network television show and you, you can say, great, here's, we're going to pay you to use your space. That would be a lot easier. Like, no, but even to then, say we want to use it, yeah. Even yeah. then, you lose locations. Last minute, that happened on the movie I worked on last year. They lost a location uh, the day before we were supposed to shoot there. But you have more resources, and it's easier to just find a new location. But in our case, we lost a location a week before we started shooting, um, and it was a location we were shooting a lot of scenes in, and it needed to be a really nice apartment, um, and that was super scary. But God bless my mother, Addie Walsh, <laughs> who found us a friend's apartment uh, right away. And so the day was saved. But as far as, so yeah, the locations, we just really lucked out. We had a lot of very generous friends and friends of the family. And, and we would also, the locations, and I mean, I, this is probably common, I'm imagining, for people shooting a web series on a really low budget or even a film. We we use them all in a variety of ways. So it would be, it wouldn't be like one look, one apartment was for one scene. We would like figure out how to use an apartment in multiple ways. So mm -hmm. we, we would maxim like maximize the use. Like, like, great. We'll do this scene. This back room will be, uh, Jan's office. Jan's office. This will be like, we would use everything as like squeeze as much out of it as we possibly could. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah. which was, which is also a puzzle, though, to try to sort that out. But Yeah, and as far as funding for the rest of it, because we did need to raise a lot of money to pay our director of photography and our editor and our color corrector and our audio mixer and our sound recordist, and also just to pay for, like, various props and equipment rental and room rental and stuff like that. We, we did that all through... Um, two different crowdfunding campaigns on Indiegogo. Um, and yeah, we just had a lot of people give us money, which was super nice of them. How much we money did about, you raise? I think $15,000. Uh, over the two hmm. campaigns, I think we raised about $15,000, which covered everything. Yeah. Well, good yeah. for you. Yeah. Because that's, that's the critical part. Thanks. Yeah. So would you do it again? Yeah. Is there going to be a season two? Um, maybe, hopefully, yes, we're, we're, we're... <laughs> well, it's, I mean, and it's hard that the, so the hard thing about crowdfunding, yeah, I don't know if you, have you done crowdfunding, Jordan, I'm guessing I've, maybe you have. I've it's done it, I do it for the Indica Fringe, yeah. It's not yeah, easy. Yeah, and it's, and it's, yeah. 
Well, and also I think the idea of, you know, because we've actually done a few. I mean, we did this, um, uh, I think you, a play you saw actually called Leaving Ikea. You did see uh-huh. that, that, did we, see that yeah. we did a crowdfunding for that. Then we were doing crowdfunding for Precious Cargo. Uh, there actually is another web series, which we, we can go into or not, but that's, we did some crowdfunding for that. But I feel like there's like a like crowdfunding fatigue, I find, like online. I think at some point your friends online... I don't know. I think it gets, I think it gets harder. I feel like we're sort of feeling like with precious cargo season two, it has to be, we have to, it has to be funded in a different way. It almost feels like, cause we, we've, we've sort of like squeaked tapped those resources so much, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. It's, it's nice to have generous people and friends who are going to throw money out there, but it, but, but you can only um, ask them so like- much, so yeah. many times. Yeah. Before they're just like, yeah, like unfriending you on Facebook. Like, um, I, you know, I'm sick of looking at your profile and you're asking me for money again for yeah. another, you know, some, something yeah. you're, something you're making. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. So yeah. we're working on shopping the show around a little bit and we're hoping, I think that the goal is we're hoping to sell it and then have whatever outlet buys it produce season two for us. Um, but that's all sort of stuff we're working on. That's, very much up in the air, but hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, cross fingers. It's a great series. I'd love to see more of it. So you've been uh, uh, writing plays for years. You've been teaching plays for years. Two quick questions for you. Now, um, you are now teaching where? Uh, uh, so in the last year, over a year, I started teaching at a place called, um, Marymount school of New York, which is an all girls school, uh, on the Upper East side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm working with basically gr- grades three through eight at, at this school, at this private wow, school. Wow, so we're talking and, grammar uh, style. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's uh, I am the, I am the so-called speech and drama teacher. So, and I, and I sort of put the emphasis on, on drama in that equation. So, uh, yeah, it just, I was, I was, you talked about subbing a little bit ago, but I was, I was subbing in there for a little while and this position opened up and I have experience in my background working with kids in theater back at a place called Idaho theater for youth years ago, uh, which is where I'm from Idaho. And, mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I've also done some, yeah, some like teaching playwriting in college and stuff, which is also a lot of fun, but this, I don't know, this was just like a really a good opportunity that I hadn't really, ex- hadn't really been expecting. And, um, I like working with these kids and we get to make up stories and have a good time. And, and then I also get a couple months off a year in the summer, which is great. So nice. yeah. Let's 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 talk about wave teaching because third to eighth, those are great years for kids. I mean, they're open, they're flexible, they're fun. They've got almost no filters, which can be a little scary at times. Um, but if you're teaching, <laughs> you're teaching them drama. How do you go about teaching them the art of the dramatic craft? Um. You know, it's interesting because there is there's sort of there's two different buildings I'm in. So there is like the third, fourth and fifth graders, um, which I find to be it's it's an inc- it's such a great age because they're just so open to doing anything. They'll make um, it very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They love they love improvisation. They love to, they, they'll get up and do anything like they're ready for anything. So to get them 
I've worked with, on the, uh, improvisation with them. I've worked on, uh, you know, writing monologues, like holiday character monologues, you know, like they, they, they've been allowed to take, like, take famous holiday characters or make up your own holiday character and write a monologue. And they love that kind of stuff. Um, because they, they'll pretty much do anything. They're they're at that. It's funny. It sort of connects back to this whole tutoring thing. But those these kids are so playful, so smart, and they just they're they'll run with anything you throw at them. Um, the other the other grade level six, seven, eight. I work on an after school show with them, and I mean those years were really hard. I mean I found teenage years to be so complicated. They're just they're a little bit more. They're a little mm-hmm. bit more worried about what their friends think. Right. Think. And so they're a little, I find them to be a little bit trickier. Um, I have a lot of sympathy for them because I know being a teenager is, has its many things are going on. Being, uh, being, being a teenager sucks. I'm sorry. It does. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just, let's make, let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's, it's gotta be. Cause, but it's, 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 it's good. Yeah. So uh, you probably get some, challenging material coming from these kids who are a thinking about what their friends think like you said uh, yeah. wondering what day by day is going to bring them because it's such it's such a crazy time all of a sudden all the things that they were sure of they are now unsure of and i'm wondering how that might because they're probably writing so much about what they're going through themselves as opposed to what the younger kids might be writing without such a, a critical sense of self. So they're writing more about other things and other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 No, it does. I would say, um, so the, so the, the detail actually is that I don't, I don't actually get to work on writing with the teenagers. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just kind of with them for an after school project, um, like a performance project. Um, but so the younger kids, I get to do more of the writing with. But I think you're absolutely right. So, but like the younger kids will just be playful, and they have all kinds of stuff to write about that's outside of themselves, that's full of imagination. Um, but I haven't had as much of a chance to work on writing with the teenagers, which actually would be an interesting. I would like to, though. I think yeah. that might be that would be a fun yeah. thing to do. Um, yeah, so but... I don't know. I mean, and, and, and the other. The other piece of it for me is, as you well understand, is just then, of course, balancing, you know, uh, what becomes a pretty consuming teaching job with my own desires as a writer and trying to make sure I feel like I'm doing the work I need to do because it's, yeah, Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like a a day without some writing done is sort of sort of a day can, in which, uh, I don't know. It feels like the day is lost in some way. I don't know how you feel about it. Or I a, totally a agree with you. Yeah. Like, I haven't gotten better as a writer today. Mm-hmm. I've, if I haven't written uh, on, um, on a day, I consider the day a waste. Um, and for those people out there who don't know teaching, who aren't teachers, who think they all get three months a year off and they go in at seven and exit at three, no. What Dano's talking about is having most of his life eaten up by planning, grading, uh, and doing all the things, the prep time, okay, to go into that school and actually do a good job. So squeezing in writing time, not easy, kids. Just letting you know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also uh, was looking over your resume, and this is a particular question for me um, from my point of view. But you directed uh, a few of your own pieces, correct? 
Yes, yes. How do you feel about that? Um, I, I know for myself, because the world revolves around me, um, that... <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't like directing my own work. I'd rather have somebody else do it so I can discover more things about the piece, I think. Um, but I know playwrights like to see the work produced, at least for the first time, the way they've envisioned it, so they, they direct. So if I haven't already answered the question, can you throw something in on that? Yeah, of course. Um, I think the, you know, the, the instances where it's happened, mostly it's just been out of necessity. You know, there were some instances where I used to work with kids and I, I would write scripts for them and it was a project I was also directing. But I agree with you. I think um, that if, if I'm really going to do my job, which I feel like as a writer is, to, you know, to continue to develop the play, even as we're in rehearsal and even as we're heading toward production in an ideal world. Right. But if I'm directing it, I feel like at some point the director's hat has to win in a way, like you have to, I have to commit to how are we going to get this prop on stage? Where are these people coming from? Like, like at some point I have to set down the writer hat, which I, which I don't like. Like I prefer to have, I prefer to work with a director, have somebody else there mm -hmm. managing all that stuff. Someone else, and again, and also someone who can, uh, I find that it, it, in the best, in the most ideal way, it will open up it'll open up the script that the director will see stuff that I didn't even know. They'll say, Oh, this is, you know, what about this and this and this And the script will improve because of the director actually. So yeah, I find it, I find it more limited to direct my own work. I yeah. Find it like, I feel like I'm missing something yeah, in a way. I find my plays always grow when I have somebody good, you know, taking care of it and producing it and directing it. And I can just basically sit back and go, Oh, really? I did that. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, also, a good director who's going to, who is not afraid to ask you questions, you know, right. the, the questions like who's going to ask you about a moment that maybe they won't let you off the hook for something. Whereas you, for yourself, you might just say, well, okay, that's maybe not working, but I got to direct this thing and I'll, I'll deal with it later. Right. But a director might say, well, we keep running into this moment. What do you think about that? It doesn't, you know, we keep running into this bump for whatever reason. Right. That's, you know, to have a director you trust to be able to ask you those things, I think is a good, and, it's, and it helps the script ultimately. Yeah. And the response, can you direct it better? Doesn't work. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's a good, good life lesson. Good life lesson. <laughs> yeah. Folks out there never say that. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. Where are we now? Uh, Lauren. I was, yeah. I was looking over uh, your website, and I got to ask you this because you uh, avoided a career as a motorcycle girl. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. When I was uh, like four years old or something, that was what I wanted. To, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> what, I was, what I wanted to do. I just wanted to ride motorcycles around the city <laughs> as a job. <laughs> All right. No, because no, oh, it's, it, it's it was it looked to me like either we go this way to motorcycle girl and or we go this <laughs> way into acting. Um, yeah, it's not very practical. I mean, acting's not a lot more practical than being a motorcycle girl, but <laughs> oh well. <laughs> well, you, you get many more costume changes as an actor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So enough uh, to wear a helmet. That works out. Uh, your speech and dialect coach. Uh, you've worked with Selma Hayek recently. Yeah. Um, 
what uh, what brought you into speech and dialect? Have you always been fascinated with uh, accents and the way people speak? Because you know, wordsmiths are always you know uh, concerned with is this the right word? How is it pronounced? Should my character have a certain accent for what purpose? And that's generally where you know the, the training coaches would come in. What's what's that been like for you? Yeah, um, when I went to uh, I went to grad school for um, acting, which is where Dano and I met. I speech was part of the curriculum, and so I took speech all three years, um, and I just found it really fascinating. We learned I, the International Phonetic Alphabet and learned about how specific sound like how to basically translate something phonetically where each symbol represents a different sound and it's that using ipa is very helpful Uh, it's mostly helpful in in working on dialects because it's like the most specific way to isolate the the sounds from one dialect to another and to differentiate between the sounds in different dialects um it was just something i i found that i was really good at and interested in, um, the speech side of things. And then we didn't actually have a dialect class when I was in grad school, the program was in transition. And so there were a lot of things that sort of slipped through the cracks, but I, uh, audited a dialect class while I was in school that the class a year below me did get to have, um, and was fascinated by using my speech training and applying it to dialect work. And also, thinking about how dialects so in like a, a character's dialect where they're from the culture of where they're from informs their character um and so once i got out of grad school i just sort of i started uh training myself more in dialects and i, I had a friend who's a dialect coach and i i shadowed her a bunch and ended up substitute teaching for her a little bit um for her dialect classes uh and yeah, I just, I was sort of self-trained as far as the dialect stuff went um, and uh, ended up coaching actors privately. Um, I started for a couple of years there, I was teaching speech at New York Film Academy, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting for me because uh, that, that school attracts a lot of international students. So every class that I taught had students, had American students, but also students from pretty much like every country I could think of. Um, so I was teaching them all. Uh, the goal was to teach them all how to speak in a, what's called a general American accent, which is sort of a antiquated um, concept of just having like a neutral American accent because it doesn't really exist in real life. Um, but in, in doing that and working with kids from all over the world, I, I got really attuned to how to um, work with how to adjust the sounds of different accents and, and what specific sounds I could hear in, in a lot of different accents. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got very familiar with different accents. And so um, it was, it was a very challenging job, but I learned a lot doing it. Um, and now I just, I coach privately. And so, yeah, last uh, winter, I, I was Salma Hayek's um, accent reduction coach for a film she shot with Alec Baldwin. Why would they want to reduce her accent? She has such a lovely voice. Um, 
Yeah, they didn't want to actually. It was her idea, and she she requested a speech coach at the very last minute before they started production. I think because it it was the first um, her she was her first time playing a lead in a comedy for her in the recent past, mm-hmm. um, and her character. There's a lot of drinking involved in this movie. Her character gets sort of like progressively drunker through various scenes. And so I think the combination of like the fast talking comedic dialogue and also the drunkenness, she was worried that with her accent, she wouldn't be understood. Um, So I was just keeping an eye on all of that and trying to make sure that um, she was as clear as possible. I mean, it's impossible to to take her accent away completely, and we wouldn't want to do that, obviously. Right. But um, it was just trying to like clear it up a bit. Precision and specificity, and being able yeah. to understand. Yeah, it's that's tricky for people uh, for actors anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got to do the scene. I got to do the scene. Blah, 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 and everybody is going, "What the hell did he just say?" Um, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's tricky making yourself understood in even the best of circumstances. Well, guys, this has been so much fun. Uh, Dano and Lauren, yeah. thank you so much for uh, being here on the podcast and talking about thank the you. wonderful Enjoy. Precious Cargo web series and teaching and <laughs> speech stuff. And um, before we go, uh, give us your uh, your website so people can find out more about you guys and tell us more about uh, how we can find out more and go see Precious Cargo. Okay. Uh, so yeah, my, my personal website is just danomadden.com, which is D-A-N-O-M-A-D-D-E-N.com. And there's, I put all kinds of stuff down there about my plays and how to find my work. Uh, and Lauren, um, yeah, my website is laurensingerman.com and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Lauren Singerman. I listen to a lot of podcasts now, so I know the whole social media. Oh, okay. She's Um, learning how to use Twitter. She's still learning. learning. Uh, And so as for Precious Cargo, you can watch the entire first season on our website, which is preciouscargowebseries.com. And you can find us on Instagram at preciouscargowebseries and on Twitter at preciouscargowws. Um, and we've also just been um, accepted to the were the official were official selections of the Brooklyn Webfest and the NYC Webfest, and so we'll have episodes screened at both of those festivals. Um, Brooklyn's in October and NYC's in November. So yeah, right. but the whole series is on our website. Fantastic! Excellent! Best of luck with both uh, both festivals. Thank you. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you like what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater that we haven't covered yet or know of someone else in the theater who'd make some really good chat, please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Our intro and outro music is Surf Far, Surf Good by the composer Steve Channon. You can hear more of his work on SoundCloud. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you. (laughs) 